Welcome to the Seven Figures Podcast, smart money strategies for women with Sandy Waters. Seven Figures is sponsored by Advantage Federal Credit Union. Today on the show, can you easily explain what an IRA is? It's okay if you can't. We'll break it down in No Dumb Questions. Plus, journalist, speaker, and widow warrior Kimberly Holmes Iverson is here, sharing the biggest financial lessons she learned after losing her husband that she wants every woman to know. And we'll take a seat at the kids' table. What should a teenager do with their very first paycheck? We'll see how the kids answer and what advice our expert has for parents. All of that today on the Seven Figures Podcast. Here's Sandy Waters. It is so awesome that you are here. I know a lot of you would just love to push the financial responsibility off to somebody else, but trust me, it's good that you are here. It's an incredible feeling to proudly say that you are a financially confident woman. You might not be there just yet. Don't worry. We're going to help you get there. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. Thank you for subscribing, telling a friend about the show. Always makes my day when I hear from you directly, sandywaters989 at gmail.com. And before we get started, we want to give a quick shout out to Sue White, the most incredible, amazing mom ever. She said she just paid off both kids' student loans. Okay, Sue... That's going way above and beyond for your kids. But as long as it did not set your retirement goals back, I will cheers to that. Congratulations, Sue White. Think about the last time you were talking about money and how it made you feel. If it made you feel uncomfortable, what was the situation? For a lot of people, it was a time they didn't understand what everybody was talking about. It almost sounded like a foreign language. And there's a lot of financial lingo out there, and sometimes it does sound confusing. So that is why we start the show with no dumb questions. CFP Erica Cummings from the Harmony Financial Wellness Group at RBC Wealth Management is here. Thank you, Erica, for doing this with us. Always a pleasure. All right. So today, the IRA, and I bet that tops the list of what people are a little unsure about. Yeah. So the thing when it comes to savings is that it's really hard because if you just listen to all the lingo that's out there, it can be really, really confusing. So I have had clients that have actually thought that an IRA is the actual investment as opposed to it just being the, I call it the bucket that you're putting your investments into. So when you stop working, you'll still need to pay for food and housing and other expenses. And where's that money going to come from? So obviously we know that we're going to potentially receiving uh, maybe a pension or social security benefits, but almost everybody is going to have to supplement their retirement income with some type of savings, whether that's in a 401k, or in this case, we'll discuss what an IRA is, which is retirement account. So this is something that you actually set up, you self-direct, or you work with a financial advisor and choose the investments that are inside of it. But it is actually something that was established by the IRS. And essentially, wherever you have that IRA, you can put anything in it. So you can put mutual funds in it, you can put ETFs in it, you can have individual stock holdings, you can have any type of investment that's out there can be put in an IRA. The IRA itself 
is simply how the IRS looks at it from a taxation standpoint. So it may look like every other account, but the tax features are what make this retirement account different from other kinds of accounts. There is a Roth IRA, but today we're just gonna talk about the traditional. A traditional IRA provides tax deferred growth. So what that means is if in any particular year, your investments grow by let's say $2,000, you do not have to pay taxes on that gain in that particular year. You don't have to pay taxes on the interest or the dividends that year. So that means more of your money gets to grow and compounds every single year. It's absolutely phenomenal to see the difference in growth between an IRA that has tax deferred growth versus a regular brokerage account where you're responsible for paying for capital gains, interests and dividends in your taxes. So you make pre-tax contributions to your IRA which means that you get to, depending on your income level, actually deduct the contributions that are going in. So you also get a tax benefit on the money that's going into the account. And everybody's situation is different. So not everybody will have that tax deduction. It's mainly based on whether or not you do have an employer-sponsored plan at work. So do you have the ability to save at work? And then also how much you're earning in your household. But for this purpose, essentially money goes in pre-tax for a lot of people, grows tax deferred. And then when you go to take the money out, when you retire, that's when you pay the taxes. And oftentimes when people get into retirement, their tax bracket is lower than when they were earning. There are contribution limits every single year and it changes each year, but you can put money into that IRA, not only for yourself, but let's say your spouse is not working. You can also make a spousal benefit contributions. So you both can use one earned income in order to make those contributions. You can start taking distributions from the IRA when you're 59 and a half. So right around when a lot of people start to think about retirement, there are also required distributions when you start to get older um, because the IRS, of course, does want their taxes at some point. So, um, but essentially it is a way for you to continue to fund your retirement. Tax laws can be complicated and there's a lot that changes on an annual basis. But I think the biggest thing I want everybody to take away from this is it's never a bad thing to be saving towards your retirement. So there's five basically, I think, worst IRA mistakes that people are making. And that's probably the big one is just not having an IRA mistake. So, (laughs) Well, probably because of the confusion, right? Yes. Yeah. So not having an IRA or a Roth IRA, which we can talk about in another podcast. Maybe you've been waiting, maybe the current market has left you unsettled. So you're thinking, I don't wanna do it now, I wanna wait. There is never a better time than the present. Um, The other mistake is the beneficiary mistake. So these are accounts that have stated beneficiaries. You wanna make sure that you're always checking them on a regular basis. Let's face it, things happen, divorces, et cetera. So you always wanna be making sure that you're your beneficiaries are up to date. I've I've been doing this for 20 years. I could give you a litany of stories, whether it's the ex-wife is listed or whether it's that they had three kids, but they forgot to put two on there because they opened it so early before the Mm. other two kids came along. So you just want to be making sure that you're checking them on an annual basis. The other thing is um, the tax deferral mistake. So one of the best aspects of the IRA is that tax deferral that's incorporated into it. So it can be a problem if you have the wrong investments in there. So you wanna make sure that you're putting in investments that aren't already tax-free. So I have a lot of people that 
put annuities into IRAs or they'll put municipal bonds into IRAs. These already have tax benefits. So you want to make sure when you're doing any type of investment decisions that perhaps consult a professional so that you're getting the absolute maximum benefit from the IRA. Um, the other thing is having too many of them. You don't have to open a new one every year. I've seen this so many times where it gets to tax season and the, uh, you know, the accountant will say, put in this much into your IRA, it'll reduce your taxes by this amount. They just run to the bank and they open an IRA. And then the next oh. year they open another IRA and the next oh, year they okay. open another IRA. It's probably easier to understand how much money you have too, if it's all streamlined Absolutely. in one place. Yes. So um, that fifth kind of mistake that we make is that just really making sure that you have an idea of where everything is and having at least a plan in place to know, okay, this is why I'm saving in this particular account. This is the investments that I'm putting in there and this is what they're trying to achieve. So getting to that point where you have a plan for all of these, you wanna make sure, I mean, this is your hard earned money. You wanna make sure that it is working at 100% capacity. All right, Erica, what are you working on? How can we follow you? We have some summer school webinars coming up in August. For anybody that would like some information, feel free to email me at erica.cummings at rbc.com. We'll get you on the mailing list and we'll get your calendars out for all of our upcoming webinars throughout the rest of the year. Also feel free to visit us on our website at harmonyfinancialwellness.com. And we also have a Facebook page with the same name. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you. a lot of studies to actually back it up. More women than men tend to be planners. And it's safe to say that we probably tend to worry a little bit more too. A lot of the what if, God forbid scenarios that play out in our minds are related to money in some way. And the pandemic has made those fears feel more real. What if you are thrown a curveball? The unexpected happens. What should you know and be prepared for? Our guest today, journalist, speaker, and widow warrior, Kimberly Holmes Iverson, thank you for chatting with us. Of course. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, gosh, you are such an inspiration. Kimberly, I don't know if I have what it takes to be as strong as you have been, honestly. You know, it's one of those things I think every widow hears, but it's the same response I think we all give is we really weren't given a choice, you know? Mm. And I think, uh, unfortunately, when you're put in, into a position where you have to live the unthinkable, you do what you have to do and you find strength you did not know was inside you. It's been four years since you yeah. lost Rashid. Okay. Yeah. And it totally took you by surprise. It was completely unexpected. It was. It was uh, April 16th, 2016. We lived in Orlando at the time. And to give you a little bit of background, so I met Rashid when I was a freshman at Duke, and he was the cute senior with the big muscles. Mm -hmm. oh. And we didn't date until about two years after I graduated. And one of his frat brothers married one of my sorority sisters, and we were together ever since that night. And we were long distance for seven years. Because as a TV reporter, I was moving all around the country and could not get in the same city. We actually finally got in the same city a few months after we got married. And we had been in Orlando for a few years. I actually had decided to leave my job. I was 
just in a funk and really unhappy. I think it was like a pre midlife crisis mm. and I just needed a breather. And so I had left my job probably about a year and a half prior to this moment in 2016. And Rashid was working uh, and marketing and, and it had just been a really busy time. And so that Saturday we decided to just kind of hang out and we did one thing we love to do. We saw two movies back to back and we got home and he was doing some work on the couch and I was watching a movie and he decided he just needed, you know, some air and to get some snacks from the store across the street from our complex. And I told him to drive and he was like, no, it's a nice morning tonight. I'm just going to walk. And literally every time that man left the house, we always gave each other a hug and a kiss. And it was mm. the one time we did not. And he did not come home. And long story short, I got our dog. I walked outside and I found a crime scene. And, you know, I asked police if they had seen my husband and they asked me, what, what is your name? And I told them and they asked me to sit in the back of a cruiser. And at that point, I am a TV reporter. So I, I'm still like, okay, this is cool. But why are you putting me in the back of a cruiser? Like what's happening right now? I don't understand. Like, I'm literally just asking you where my husband is. Why am I sitting here? And then finally they said the words and it still didn't register. I literally remember calling one of my good friends, another reporter and telling her, they're telling me that Rashid was hit by three cars oh, and he's not alive. Oh. And that two cars are gone and the third car stops and they don't even know exactly who did this. And they're telling me he died. He went to get Swedish fish and they're telling me he's dead. The strongest man I've ever met in my life. The nicest, sweetest, smartest, talented mm. man I've ever met in my life who was incredibly healthy 30 minutes ago you're telling me he's not even breathing anymore and I was like I just need you to come here and help me figure out what these people are saying and in an instance he was gone and my life changed and at that moment I had to call his parents and my parents and his sister and my sister and brother and his and and all of this and and just everything the world just stops yeah and it was one of those things where, you know, we really had kind of just started our lives together. You know, we were in our mid thirties, but, you know, I think a lot of people, especially in, in our generation, our age, were, you know, we're kind of doing the same thing. We were just about to buy a house and deciding on settling in Orlando and me trying to figure out, did I want to, you know, stay, you know, away from TV business or go back into it? And, you know, all of these things and, and thinking, okay, we're about to have the big conversations and figure out our lives and, and think through all of this. And then he was just gone. So it really did prove that sometimes, or honestly, all the time, you need to have these big conversations and plan for the unthinkable, even though it's very uncomfortable, because you never yeah. know what can happen. Yeah, and you're right. That was like the exciting part of your life. You were just yeah. starting to paint the picture of what the future was going to be like. Exactly. Exactly. So now you took all of this, I don't know if grief is the right word, because it was way more than just grief that you were dealing with, but you took all of these emotions and energy and you directed it to helping other women and other widows. It was one of those things where 
I felt so numb and so terrible and I didn't want to go on. I didn't want to live to be honest, but I thought, you know, and I remember honest, my birthday was a few months after Rashid died and Rashid's mom, I remember calling and singing to me that morning and she was saying, you're alive. And I, I just remember being so angry because I'm like, it's not a blessing. It's not a blessing. I'm alive. This is a horrible, horrible thing. And it, it took me a really long time to, to be happy to still be here but I figured you know if if God left me here and I was going to do the hard work of living I needed to figure out a way to put one foot in front of the other and when you think of others it takes your mind off your own pain Mm -hmm. and so honestly one of the first conversations I had it was probably a, a it was after the funeral. So I was back. My parents moved me back to their house. So it was probably a few weeks after everything happened. And a friend connected me with another widow who was actually in central Florida. And she called me and I just remember talking to her and thinking it was the first person who truly understood what I felt. So some people say, I know what you're going through. I lost somebody. Yeah. And they don't. Yeah. And you, you know, everybody gives you the sympathy and wants to just give you a big hug. But yeah. you're right. Until you walk those same shoes. Those horrible shoes. And she mm-hmm. felt, you know, and she she knew the despair. She knew the depths of the pain. And and literally her her biggest advice at that point, she was like, just, just breathe. It's going to be okay. You're never going to, because a lot of times people think you get over grief quote unquote, Mm. you don't get over it. You learn how to live with it. You learn how to go through it. And she just gave me great advice. And honestly, at that point, it really was just breathe. Mm. And I'm here. And when you need to cry, when you need to scream, do that. And you're going to have bad days. You're going to have really horrible days, but then you're going to start to have better days. And I know you don't believe me, but someday you will smile again. And I honestly held on to that, even though I didn't believe her. I didn't believe her for a really long time, but I, I started to have those moments. And, and part of it was, I realized she helped me. And even just being there and just being a listening ear and someone knowing what I was going through was so helpful. And so people started to connect me with other young widows. And it's one of those things where you, you, you hear about these horrible things happening or someone loses somebody and it seems so far away and removed, but then it, it started to happen to all these people in my circle. And they'd say, I don't, you know, I'm sorry. And I don't, you know, want to do anything to upset you, but my friend just lost her spouse. Can I connect you? Mm. I said, sure. And so I would talk to them and kind of give advice when I still felt new on the journey. And I just learned there was this whole tribe out there. And on social media, we have our, our widow crew and, and real life and there are meetups and, you know, there are these summer camps and, and all of these things. And I learned that my voice of being a storyteller and learning how to speak out was one thing that kind of helped and hopefully helping to reshape the narrative on grief. Because I think it's one of those things, people almost look at you as if you're dirty Mm. when you're grieving it's like go in the corner until you're better and then come out yeah Yeah. or it's just uncomfortable awkward like what do you you don't want to say the wrong thing it is but that's the thing is honestly there's no right thing that i mean the the wrong thing is telling someone be strong or you'll find Mm. someone new or just like get over it and the right thing is honestly i don't know what to say but i'm here Mm-hmm. Or I don't know what to do, but here's some wine and cookie dough, which is one of my favorite things. <laughs> you know? And 
of the biggest things that was really helpful is when my friends would say and still say Rashid's name and share a memory. And it's one of those things, a lot of times they'd say, I wanted to say this, but I didn't want to upset you. Yeah. I'd say, I'm going to cry anyway. So might as well just go ahead and give me the story because at least they're happy tears at that point. Yeah. So I did form an organization, still his, that's like a grief tea company and grief gifts. Because one thing that happens when you lose your spouse is you lose the person who thinks of you, who gives you candy bars just because, you know, or anything. And and so I formed that. And it also was, um, I have brunches and, and, you know, holiday gatherings, just so we can all get together and see each other and kind of just unload and be there for one another. Um, and I've spoken at a bunch of events and and also tried to um, work on some hit and run legislation because the year Rashid was killed, it was a record year for hit and runs in Florida. Oh, wow. And it's actually gotten worse around the country in the year since. So um, I had gotten sponsors and the, the bill in the dying committee and it's something I had to put on pause because it's, it's a lot, it's a lot mentally and a lot of work definitely something I will pick up in the in the in the future but um yeah I just learned to to help so now let's talk about then the financial side of all this putting the pieces back together what are the biggest lessons that you want every woman to know so first of all I want to say (laughs) oh gosh there must be a lot okay (laughs) like okay the average age of a widow is 59 which is really young and mm-hmm. I, I think we don't really realize that a lot of times we think of maybe your grandmother or someone like that who's much older, but the average age is, is young. And most men who are widowed remarry and for women, it's a mixed bag. So when it happens to a woman, when she becomes a widow, she often has some very difficult lessons to learn. And on the, the scale of the most stressful events in life, losing a widow is the most stressful. It's number one. And even like losing your parent and your child and even being incarcerated is below losing your spouse. Mm. So I would say there are three big things I learned, unfortunately, and and two were great things because we were doing it and just really made things. It was the one little bright spot that made things easier. And I'd say the big one big lesson was know your partner's passwords. And I know for some people, that's a touchy subject, but literally I'll say weeks before everything happened, we had sat down and and thought, okay, we have all this stuff all over the place. And, you know, we were adults when we got married. And so, you know, we knew each other's, but didn't really have a place where it all was. And Mm -hmm. goodness, we had had that conversation and compelled the information in a document and we had it. And I knew all of the accounts and I knew, you know, the logins and, and all of that. And so that was one, one positive. Uh, another thing I would say is have an idea of your budgets, you know, bills, mortgage, what's going out, what's coming in, where is it coming from? And that might be an uncomfortable thing for some people because, you know, money and knowing who manages what might not be your thing, but you need to have an idea. And and maybe you're dependent upon your spouse. Maybe they're the breadwinner. And, you know, when Rashid died, he was the one who was making the money, even though I clearly had a career. But at that point, I wasn't working. But I at least had an idea of what we owed and what, you know, what we needed to pay. And I'd say 
the last and most difficult lesson was even if you do all the right things, there are some things you just can't prepare for. And so it's try to always have some sort of savings and prepare for something you can't even imagine. Because one of the big things that happened to me is Rashid's um, student loans were forgiven, but he went to Duke twice, Duke undergrad and Duke business school. And the majority of it was student loans. And so when the government came back and said they were forgiven, I was like, wow, it's a blessing. Yeah, yeah. thank <laughs> you. Right. The government is and helping then, me out. Sure. And in the middle of it, you know, grief is clouding your brain. And, and literally, if someone's helping me, I'm not thinking five steps ahead. I'm like, what did you say? Okay, now I'm moving on to the next fire I have to put out. Yep. And unfortunately, the next year, which I did not realize, the government considered that taxable income. Ooh. And so I had never been a person that owed the IRS anything. And now the IRS was looking at me like you may be equivalent of a, you know, sizable salary and didn't pay us. And now you need to pay this huge chunk, which just about wiped out my savings. And wow. it was a really scary thing because it was a year after I had gone through what I thought was the worst year and really tried to get on my feet and pile forward and put one foot in front of the other and make smart decisions. And I literally at that point had just bought a house and I had not prepared for this at all. So it was one of those things where even when you do all the right things, sometimes you just can't prepare for everything. So try to have savings. We have to say congratulations to you too. <laughs> You just got married last month, right? I did. I did oh. the one thing I swore I would not do. <laughs> oh, was, did you really? Did you yeah. say that said I'm done? You're so young. I know, but it was one and that was one thing like everybody would always say. And you know, people love to say you'll find someone new, you're young, you're cute, and you're like, that's not that's not helpful. You just make me angry. And the way that Rashid loved me, I just I, I was not willing to settle. You know, and I had this big, bright bowl yeah. of love. And yeah. I, I was obviously sad, but I was like, I'm not going to settle. So I guess God just wants me to, to, to live on that for the rest of my life. And I'm going to do it. You know, I, I say that I tease you about it, but I say the same thing. I'm like, if something God, see, God forbid happens. I don't, I don't know if I have it in me to find, to look, I guess. And you weren't looking. That's the thing. That's the thing. So I swore I wasn't going to do it, but I did do the work and I did, you know, I, I did therapy, counseling, my grandma's prayers, strangers' prayers, walking outside, exercise, like I mm -hmm. said, eating like wine, all the stuff I needed to do, the bad days, the good days. And over about, you know, honestly, it was last fall, an old friend re-entered the picture. <gasps> And we started dating and literally we just oh. got married on June 19th. Oh, and so it. it was such a beautiful, unexpected thing for both of us. And he's incredible. And it's one of those things where I feel so lucky because I feel so safe and so loved. But Rashid is still a part of my life and our life. And I still have pictures and memories of him and we still talk about him. And so it 
it is exactly what I need to help me move forward. And it's possible to all those, you know, I think we hear so many horrible stories and so many bad men, but there are really good guys out there. Um, take your heart and mind. And I just, I feel really blessed. And honestly, I do believe that Rashid picked him out hmm. and he knew him and, you know, they were friends and, um, and I, I, yeah, it's, it's such a weird statement, weird thing to say, but I think Rashid guided us together. You know, when I hear you talk, and I think everybody listening is thinking the same thing, I have like this big smile on my face. I don't know if it's the sound in your voice, the uplifting advice that you gave us. And I'm so happy for you. I think we all are hearing your story and how now you're painting the new picture of the future. And it's it's incredible what you have done for other widows. And, and thank you so much for opening up and speaking so candidly with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How can we follow you and support you now? I would love to have you guys connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. It's Kim Keeps Going. And my website is the same. And in case anyone does need to connect with my grief group and l learn a little bit more about Still His, our Facebook page is Still His, Still Hers. And all of that on my website, KimKeepsGoing.com too. Time to take a seat at the kids' table. Our money expert, CEO of Money Savvy Generation, Susan Beecham is here. Hi, Susan. Hey, Sandy. Okay, so today we asked the kids what they would do with their first paycheck. Tell me how old you guys are and when you get your very first job, what do you plan on doing with that first paycheck? I'm 11. Um, I'm probably going to put 60% into spending and 40% into saving. And the saving will probably go to paying paying for my car or something like that and then the spending will go to like buying clothes i'm seven years old i'm gonna buy a four-wheeler and two dirt bikes and a trailer <laughs> <laughs> so cute i love that laugh all right so what is the best thing we should tell our kids to do with their very first paycheck okay so I love the fact that you introduce each one of these conversations by talking to kids first, because that's what I tell parents all the time. Before you launch in to your speech about what to do and how to behave, ask them what they think. The first gal said, I'm going to do a 60-40 split. I'm going to spend some 60%. I'm going to save some. This is a this is a young lady who is already budgeting in her head. First ask the question, see what kind of foundation you're going to springboard from. Talk to them about, okay, so this is your first paycheck. What do you plan on doing with the money that you've just earned? you'll get an answer like a 60-40. Okay, that's a great idea. You're putting some money into spend and some money into saving. So let's talk about the mechanics of getting a paycheck. One of the first things you can do to help your child out and introduce them to um, the world of banking is to, when they have a paycheck, set them up for direct deposit. What that does is that moves the money immediately into a holding position. 
right? It's not something that's in their hands or burning a hole in their pocket. That's if your child is getting paid in a way that can accommodate direct deposit. If not, the minute they get a paycheck or even if they're paid cash, take them and set them up with a bank account yeah. so that there's somewhere for the money to go to be safe and to sit while they stop, think, and reflect. So a first paycheck should also be a great opportunity for you to talk to them about gross versus net. Mm. My, my daughter, who's now 28, when she got her first paycheck, she worked at a shoe store and she got paid a dollar a pair of shoes that she sold. It took everything in me, you know, not to say, are you kidding me? Because this was a lot of money to her and this was important to her. And that's another thing I say to parents. Don't look at this through the lens of your eyes. Ah, uh, yeah. And there's, there's currency in the work ethic lessons they're going to get. There's currency in working in a team. There was a lot of stuff she learned in that shoe store in addition to get being getting paid a dollar a pair of shoes. But she came home with her first paycheck in, in those days. They actually cut a check. The owner did. It was a small business. And she said, what is F-I-C-A? I thought you were going to say another F. Okay. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Why well, I moved quickly. Um, but anyway, and I laughed because if I had Sandy, if I had sat her down and said, let me talk to you about taxes. Yeah. So gross is what you're going to earn. That's what you're going to take home. Blah, blah, blah. She would have glazed over, checked out and not retained it. But because it was her experience. And remember, we talked about this in an earlier show. Experiences are how kids learn. Mm-hmm. Talking at them. Sometimes we have to do that. But experiences like this first paycheck it's a golden opportunity for parents to take this experience and attach financial education, money knowledge. So we sat down and we talked about taxes and now they're interested because it's their money. Yeah. Now, what about the very first paycheck? And I've heard other parents say this before where their kids have the urge just to splurge, to just spend it all on something that they've always wanted. And the parent would say, well, okay, it's their first paycheck. It's okay. Is that dangerous territory when you allow your kid, quote unquote, allow your kid to do that? Uh, you know, I think that you have to be careful when you're first working with earned money, something your child has earned independent of you. You have to be careful not to, to overmanage it. Like ah. it's yours. Mm-hmm. Let them make their mistakes. If they're pushing to just spend it all, then so be it. Right? So because be mistakes, it. Because <laughs> it's going to be painful yeah, to watch, but yeah. Gritting your teeth. But yeah. you see, what you have, I think the best thing to do is for somebody to make a mistake. Because when they make a mistake when they're in their high school years, you know, it's a couple hundred dollars. When they make a mistake mm. when they're 30, That's um, true. it's much bigger numbers and it's a much bigger life impact. Yeah. There's something magical about stories. So if you can talk about how, what you did with your first paycheck, what your first job was, what you learned, if you then can squeeze in, if they're still paying attention, what you do now, if you can get, if you can keep them going, a story is a very provocative way of explaining this. And Going back to Allison, gosh, I hope she never hears this because she's going <laughs> to 
She's going to have so much of a problem with this. But anyway, we sat down every time she got a paycheck and we talked about it. And I said to her, every time she got a paycheck, let's take a portion of it and let's put it towards savings. Mother, it's my money. Mm. At the end of the summer, and she worked hard, Sandy. you got to sell a lot of shoes yes. as a, at a pop, right? Yeah. So at the end of the summer, I said, let's go to lunch. And I had a spreadsheet and I showed her what she earned all summer. And I showed her what she would still have in hand if she had saved a portion. And she got it. She uh, had zero. Wow. And she realized if she had just taken a portion, she would have it was close to about a thousand dollars. That experience wouldn't have been as meaningful to her had I forced it. Now, do you suggest that kids should set up an IRA with one of their first paychecks? Like start saving for that kind of long-term savings? No. Oh no. Okay. I probably, I think a lot of people think I should be saying yes, but there's so much to teach Sandy at the beginning that if we set up a relationship with our kids and money that we're always going to be taking some away from them and putting it towards a goal they don't understand when it's not relevant, then you you create the profile of a person who's always going to battle that and who's never going to want to hear about it. In high school, they're they're earning income for a purpose, whatever the purpose is, whether it's a summer camp or whether it's to pay for expenses for a car. At the end of high school, they're earning money for whatever purpose that is. So it, there has to be a relatable goal. Let me tell you the third and final story about Allison. Wow, have you set this up beautifully. Um, so she's 28 years old and we're in a pandemic and the market tanks. And so I said in a phone call, I think now's the time for you to put some money into a Roth. And she said, oh, I love that idea. She was 28 when she finally said, I love that idea. It was finally relevant. So our role as a parent is to continually reintroduce things that we've learned, saving for retirement, saving for a rainy day. And the most important sentence of this time together on the first paycheck is an old saying that's still so darn good pay yourself first, pay yourself first. Just think about it. You get a paycheck and now I want you to pay a portion of that back to yourself because everything else you want to do, it is going to be to pay it out towards something else. But I want you to put yourself in front of the line. So instead of saying, just save it, call it, pay yourself Ah, first. All right. I love it. Where can we find you, Susan? And how can we follow your work? You can follow me at my blog, which is SusanBeecham.com. And you can find our Money Savvy Generations award-winning products and some free resources at Money Savvy. That's two V's, S-A-V-V-Y.com. Perfect. Thanks, Susan. Nice to be here. All right, that wraps it up. Another great show. So much good stuff. Let me know if there's a topic you want us to answer in No Dumb Questions, if there's a guest you want me to get on the show, or if you need help talking to the kids about money. This podcast is for you. Cheers to each and every single one of you who is proud to say you are on your way to being a financially confident woman. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Seven Figures Podcast. Click subscribe so you don't miss an episode. 
Seven Figures is sponsored by Advantage Federal Credit Union.